Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It's Tuesday, and you are watching AM to DM. Here's a tweet from our own Remy Smith. Solidarity with all of the people who are now inwardly singing red, red wine. I went for it in a vicious loop. I applaud your commitment. Thank you, Saeed. I applaud your commitment. Did you have to Google who or what? I did. UB40 is yesterday. I figured it was at least a noun, but yeah, I did. I saw, I was seeing a few tweets, and I was like, oh, it's just Beltway reporters. They have a terrible sense of humor. Ignore, and then it just went crazy. I was just seeing UB40 everywhere, and I was like, is it a gang? <laughs> Which, it, literally, my theory was like, did, is this a new game that Trump wow. is talking about to get everyone scared about immigration? Uh -huh. Is it a rapper? I was just like, oh, no, and I looked it up, uh -huh. and I was like, oh, it's the red, red wine. Okay, got it. I admit that I, I heard it in high school. I did. Okay, yeah. You, you knew red, red it, like, wine. It came on, I felt like at Sock Hops or something like that. I, I certainly didn't. Sock Hops? When was, were you going to high school? Well, you no, know, it was a while ago. <laughs> but it certainly wasn't like I liked the song enough back in the day that I went to Tower Records and asked for a CD of it. It wasn't a bop. It wasn't <laughs> yeah, like 12 I didn't year know old they were like out here. Yeah. yeah, that come from that general vein of British reggae. Mostly white? Dude. Yeah, gonna go with mostly, gonna go with mostly white. All right, um, what about you? I definitely knew uh, who UB40 was. Okay. Um, Were you big on reggae in the day? You know, reggae in the day? Reggae in the day. No, not so much, okay. but I just knew red, red wine, okay. right? Uh, so I didn't wake up and start thinking like, oh, is this WD40? What is a UB40? <laughs> uh, but you know, once I got a, a hang of what the timeline was talking about, I, I figured it out pretty quickly. It was good. scared though? Was I scared? You know, I wasn't scared. The thing I was wondering about, because it's a Brett Kavanaugh story, I was wondering about what was he doing at a UB40 concert? Red, red wine. The man likes beer. He's made that very clear. Yeah, that, that is all, frankly, that is all Brett Kavanaugh wants us to know about. <laughs> That's it's like the one <laughs> thing I factually know. Beer. Well, well, listen, Twitter, we want to hear from you. What did you think a UB40 was? Let us know using the hashtag WD40. And if you know exactly what UB40 is, please feel free to drag us. I mean, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. If you want to stake your arrogant <laughs> pop culture claim on UB, have at it, darling. <laughs> have at it. You know how to at me. But, all right, let's that aside, we of course are going to talk about Kavanaugh because the rest of it is not funny at all. We'll mm. go live in the district with BuzzFeed News reporter Nitty Prakash. We'll get to that in just a bit. Absolutely, but first, a heartbreaking story from BuzzFeed News data reporter Lam Vo. She paid a lawyer thousands of dollars to apply a green card. She got a deportation order instead. BuzzFeed News Deputy National Editor Marissa Carroll tweeted, Edith Duran fell victim to one of the most common and effective frauds that play off the hopes and fears of vulnerable, undocumented immigrants, the 10-year law. 10-year law. Lom Vo joins us now. Good morning, Lom. Good morning. So who is Edith Duran and what is the quote-unquote 10-year law? So Edith Theran is one of 33 plaintiffs who is suing her former lawyer. She is a victim of a fraud, according to this lawsuit, called the 10-year law. And that is really a fraud that was born out of how complicated our immigration system was. And it takes absolute advantage of people who don't understand it properly. The way you could imagine it is basically there is this way in which you can maybe get a green card. It's like one of the very few ways in which you as an undocumented immigrant in the U.S. can get a green card. If you're already in immigration court and about to maybe be deported and someone can be like, oh, actually, this woman has been in the country for 10 years. She has children who would suffer tremendously if she were to be deported. And she's been in good character, has a wonderful like record, no criminal record at all. We can get her a green card. 4,000 of those are given out a year. But what lawyers have done um, in the grand scheme, a lot of people, uh, a lot of lawyers have done this, um, is that they've started saying, you know what, there's this thing called the 10-year law. You can apply for it, and then you can get a green card. And so Duran and 30, um, 32 other people say that they were misled from being in the shadows, being undocumented, to being told that there's a benefit that they can apply for called the 10-year law. And so what happens is that these lawyers will apply for asylum for these folks, put them basically on track to potentially be deported in front of immigration court, and then string them along until... Who knows? Maybe they have a tiny chance of getting this uh, getting this green card, but most of the time um, they have to suffer uh, dire consequences, especially now that the Trump administration has really clamped down on the immigration system. Okay, Lam, forgive my naivete here, but I, I am confused about the lawyers. Like, why would lawyers 
target uh, people in this way? Like, what what's their agenda? Are they trying to get these people deported? I, I just genuinely don't understand why they would do this. It just is, it seems evil. Well, we looked at a lot of different scams. And if you think about this, or we looked at frauds and scams, and if you think about this, a lot of lawyers who just want to make a quick buck, right? They can go in and charge $7,500 of a person, $8,000 of a person to do this. And what happens with this kind of almost industrialization of this, this uh, fraud is that you also have undocumented immigrants who are probably the easiest victim to take advantage of because who are they going to go to? The authorities? Are they going to put themselves on the map by reporting someone? And especially now when um, the Trump administration has pretty much like widened the scope of who is subject to deportation, not just people with a criminal record, but pretty much anyone who maybe is in a country um, for without legal papers. Now, this atmosphere has led to a lot of people underreporting, a lot of people being scared and kind of withdrawing even more. And that is why this particular fraud is particularly bad for people, because it takes undocumented immigrants, puts them on the government's radar, and then puts them uh, uh, and, and gives them no recourse to actually withdraw their details and their data from the uh, from the government. Oh, while wow. taking their hard-earned money yeah. um, that yeah. they're hoping will lead to a green card. Uh, Lam, what do we know in particular about these lawyers that took advantage of Edith? So it's an interesting thing. The lawsuit that is out there right now, uh, it says that they had um, at least those 33 clients, but say that the, the, uh, the number of clients is much, much higher after um, they uh, published the first, law, um, the first complaint of the lawsuit. More people came to them and they had to add more people to the, to the actual lawsuit. And um, they said that there was almost like a, uh, the, the, there was an accountant who was involved who, according to the lawsuit, was told that, oh, there is a 10-year law by one of the lawyers. And then he started referring more people to them and said that he referred at least 100 people to them. So imagine this, like you have a, you have this accountant giving these folks 100 clients. That's approximately $7,500, $8,000 if we look at the numbers of the lawsuit. And then on top of that, we have other people who hear about it through word of mouth. So this is a real like money-making machine for a lot of lawyers. And like for these particular ones, according to the lawsuit, these 33 clients um, had a cost of about $99,000 altogether um, for the hecs the two lawyers and um, other lawyers that they had to hire to fix the cases. Wow, this is stunning. Well, um, of course, Lam, you are an incredible data reporter. That's a fact, not an opinion. So I did <laughs> want to ask, um, how, if all, did data figure into your reporting for this piece? So this is an interesting thing that I like to raise a lot. Oftentimes, data does not exist for some of the most vulnerable communities, right? One of the things that is particularly difficult is like the ways in which we measure communities of color, the ways in which we measure um, immigrants is really kind of like blunt instrument. Here's a big thing. And in particular with something like fraud, it's it's reliant on a lot of self-reported data. So what we found was um, a data set from the FTC where people can um, submit official complaints about immigration services related um, issues they had. And uh, some of, we did a quick data analysis and tried to look into the different words that were used oftentimes. And we would find things like website and calls um, and lawyers um, and, and even diversity and lottery. So that gives you an indication of all the multifaceted ways in which people are trying to take money of immigrants, of undocumented immigrants, and are trying to take advantage of this hope. And one of the things that I found particularly sad um, to, to hear when I talked to an expert was um, he was saying, look, look, if someone keeps on telling you, no, can I have a green card? No. Can I have some sort of legal status? No. And then someone comes and sells you the dream, you are very prone to believe it. And best believe there's phone calls coming in of people being like, oh, I'm speaking Chinese to you. You are being hunted down by um, the U.S. Immigration Services now. Give me money. What are you going to do as an undocumented immigrant? You're probably going to be afraid and try to make sure that all of that goes away. Wow. My goodness. Yeah. Well, as you said, taking advantage of people's hope. Uh, Lam, thank you so much for your reporting on this. Thank you for having me. Wow. That yeah. was just really... It's a stunning, stunning story. Really and we'll be tweeting it out now, so please do take the time to read it. Yeah, literally taking advantage of people's hope in the American dream. Mm -hmm. Like, if you just keep trying, you can make it. Well... Whew, let's change gears for a moment. Uh, here's an all caps tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter and new dad, Adam B. Very, who has had it. 
He's fed up. Uh, he tweeted, I'm sorry for the all caps, but can we please get changing tables in men's restrooms? That's something that would be good for us to do as a species, I think. That is like my favorite genre of all caps tweet. If you have to pick a all caps tweet to go for, I really like that I am sorry for the all caps tweet, uh, but but I'm still gonna go all caps. Tanya Chen wrote about the dilemma for BuzzFeed. A dad's Instagram has gone viral for showing the struggle of not having changing tables in men's restroom. That look dad, at that, and look at that I photo. Mean, look at that, it's just some, that photo. some Cirque du Soleil parenting honey, <laughs> going on in the bathroom. Well, that dad is Dante Palmer. He's a 31-year-old teacher based in Florida, father to three kids, wonderful husband. Dante joins us now. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. All right, thank you for being with us because we need to talk about this. It's crazy. Walk us through the photo. How did the picture of you changing one-year-old Liam's photo make it to Instagram? Well, it was just a typical Saturday morning. My wife and I, we um, got up that morning and said, hey, you know, we need to do some much needed errands. So we packed the boys up like any family would. We headed out um, to town in Jacksonville. You know, we went to Walmart and we went to the Sprint store. And if you are a person with any kind of cell phone service, you will know that you'll be there for hours, right? And we're there, we were there for a, a multiple of long hours. And we came out that night. Um, I said, instead of going home to cook tonight, let me be a good husband to treat my family to a hot meal, right? And that's what we did. We went to Texas Roadhouse here in Jacksonville, Florida at the town center. And we went. And like any other family, we waited for about 30 minutes and then we sat down. Um, as soon as we sat down, my son started crying. And if you're a parent, you know it's probably one of two things. Um, they're sleepy, well, it's actually three things. They're tired, they're hungry, or they have a wet diaper, right? And so I eliminated, went down the checklist, I tried to feed him, he was still crying. So I pointed to my 12-year-old son, um, and the, way, the, why, the reason why I pointed to him is because it happens so much more than often that we, that we realize that changing tables aren't really that present in a lot of men's restrooms. So I pointed to my 12-year-old Isaiah and said, hey, walk me to the bathroom. Um, he's like my diaper assistant, right? And we went to the, um, the restroom and I got to my, my perfect man squad. And Isaiah passed me a wipe, passed me the new diaper, and he disposed of the soil diaper. And while I'm changing my son, I didn't know, without my knowledge, my son was snapping pictures, right? So I was just doing what any dad would do in a moment like that. Just try to be innovative and creative to change your child. Um, and it was that point where we went back to the table and my son pulled the phone out and showed his mom the picture. And of course, we had a good life as a family. And it's, it's one thing my wife said to me that stuck out. She said, you know, us mothers, we don't have to be so creative and we don't have to be so innovative when it comes to changing our babies. You know, we are we, we are accessible and we, we have the resources to change our, our babies. Right. But you had to legit get in a, like a ninja squat to change our son. And that's not fair. Right. And. When she said that, it still didn't register to me. And it wasn't about two weeks later when I was driving home from work and I was like, wow, like this is a, a serious issue. So I posted it just to get um, a reaction from family and friends and tagged the shade room. And believe it or not, the shade room definitely messaged me back. And from that moment on, I just went to another level. I mean, it blew up. And shout out to your 12-year-old son. That's some good photography skills. He was skills. like, I'm helping he you, I'm helping you, I'm clicking. He really yeah, captured the moment there. He's got, he's got some photography future. I want to ask, what has the response been like since it, uh, your post went viral? Well, it's been, it's been a great response. But with anything positive, there always comes a negative comments, right? So I try to stay away from those negative comments because, they, I mean, they're negative, right? So I just kind of skim through sometimes and look for the positive. And it can get overwhelming. So um, the last two days, my wife and I have literally been off social media because we just don't want to see the narratives that people are painting for us, right? With the negatives, you know, they painted a picture that I was a single father with an autistic son and my wife was lazy or the mother of his child must be lazy because she's not there to help him, right? Um, but I'm here just to say in, in the response to the positive comments, we have a flood of father and a flood of mothers from Uganda to Australia to Malaysia from Houston to Philadelphia who are reaching out saying you know what you are um, a proud dad you are a superhero and you are speaking to the issue of all fathers it's not a left or right thing it's not a democrat or republican thing it's a father and a parent issue and they've been full, in full support standing behind me and we're ready to push this agenda forward. All right. Yeah. Well, shout out Amen. to you. Shout out to you because we all have to do the work of raising our kids, mm. right? And if we're going to do it, we need changing tables. So <laughs> thank you, Dante, so much for joining us. <laughs> what, 
what I want to know is whether that restaurant is immediately putting one in. You they, know, that's what that's what I would like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Twitter, we want to know. Uh, we want to hear from the men that are watching. All right. Have you ever had to change a diaper? Let's start there. And what about publicly? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. No photos necessary. <laughs> um, well, we've got a great show coming up today. We've got Jamila Jamil. We've mm. got The Good Place, Bad Place. It's a news cycle, so it depends. <laughs> also, I'm about to sit down with Rebecca Traster. She's good and mad. So am I. Yes. Don't go away. I'm so excited to talk about her book. The oh Good and God. Mad Place. We're <laughs> the Good and Mad Place. We're doing it. Yes, we're here. Welcome. Hey friends, here's a tweet from Rebecca Traster. I'm sure you saw it. It's the first week of October. A year ago this week, the Times broke the Weinstein story. Two years ago this week, the Access Hollywood tape was released. 27 years ago this week, Anita Hill announced that she would be willing to testify. 229 years ago this week, women rioted in Paris. Friends, Rebecca Traster's new book called Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger is out today, today or during the week that, my goodness. <laughs> I don't so think that timing book. was conscious oh when it was scheduled. I don't gosh. think there was, I don't actually think there was a sense I'm that like so it was the anniversary. You're here. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I mean, okay, let's get into it. There's yeah. so much, because we, could, we yep. don't have a whole hour, but right. I love to. Um, so one, obviously you talk a lot and, and write with such insight about the last two years, but something that we, I really wanted to underscore is that you're like, listen, women have been good and mad for centuries. Right, and that it is the power and the political consequence mm -hmm. of their anger mm -hmm. is always underestimated. Mm -hmm. Because women's anger is written off by, especially within a white patriarchy, right. as unhinged, mm -hmm. illegitimate, marginal, hilarious, theatrical, like not serious. You could hear it in the sessions, in the, in the Kavanaugh hearings, mm -hmm. Three weeks ago, before the assault allegations, mm -hmm. when the senators called the protesters protesting about life and death, health care, abortion, loudmouths, mm -hmm. Ben Sass actually said it was hysteria. Mm -hmm. So women's anger is written off. And yet, if you look at all of the social movements that have transformed this country mm -hmm. for the better, mm -hmm. starting with abolition, mm -hmm. suffrage, labor, the gay rights movement, the civil rights mm -hmm. movement, the women's movement, there have been angry women at the start of all of those movements. Women's anger is catalytic politically and we don't take it seriously enough. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, even when people talk about, well, wait, St Stonewall, right? Isn't that like, it was like, uh-uh, Sylvia P. Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson. Johnson yeah. and Stormy DeLavier, yes. who is, who what was, she, is, she has since passed, mm -hmm. but she was a, a lesbian, mm -hmm. lesbian woman of color who is reported, everything with Stonewall is a little, mm -hmm. everybody has different stories about mm -hmm. what happened that mm -hmm. night, but many of the stories agree that she challenged the police as she was being let out in handcuffs from mm -hmm. the Stonewall Inn that night, and that she turned to the crowd that had gathered to watch the arrests and said, why don't you guys do something? And yet, that event, when, it, when they made a movie about it, it was mm -hmm. like a white, cis guy mm -hmm. from the Midwest mm -hmm. was the hero. Absolutely. That Becomes the face. It's the, right, whiteness and, uh, and when it's possible, mm -hmm. maleness mm -hmm. come to stand in as the heroes in our national stories when in fact it's often disruptive women, angry women, mm -hmm. often women of color who have, you know, metaphorically thrown the first rock in, you know, in a way that has resonated mm -hmm. politically. Yeah. Also, because again, you do such a good job of going the long view. I want to talk about the temperance movement. Mm -hmm. I feel like when the temperance, I never thought in my life I'd be like, good morning, <laughs> Let's talk about the difference. Moment. But I, rem I have such vivid memories of when it was taught to me in schools, right? It was just like these women and they just like, they wanted to ruin everyone's fun and they were super judgy and well, you go they, into they did. breaking it down. They, they, they actually, did. Okay, they did. That's not. <laughs> Wrong. Okay, and there's also <laughs> we we do have to acknowledge, by the way, that okay. not all of women's anger has been progressive. Okay. There's been a lot of women arguing on the side of morality. Mm -hmm. Now, the temperance movement is an mm -hmm. example of that, but mm -hmm. there's a complication with the temperance right. movement, which is that a lot of the energy behind banning alcohol mm -hmm. was, in fact, a response to domestic violence yeah. done by drunken husbands, wow. and in that era. Mm -hmm. It was somehow more practical to fight for the banning of alcohol mm -hmm. than fight for the reform of marital right. laws, women to live outside of marriage wow. or to be able to divorce their husbands mm -hmm. or be able to simply, you know, bring charges or complain about battery. It somehow it, it made more sense to ban <laughs> alcohol. Wow. But there was also a kind of a, a lot of white middle class women fighting on behalf of a moral crusade that has uh, we can see that mm -hmm. that kind of spirit reflected in other right. not progressive 
aggressive movements of women's anger. But women's anger is potent. They did, yeah. by the way, they banned alcohol. Like, that's an incredible they thing. They did that. <laughs> that's a nuts thing that yes. happened. So, and that's yeah. when I say we underestimate the power right. of women's anger. Mm -hmm. Like, even in some of the cases that we feel like iffy about, mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. crazy that we don't take it more seriously as a political force. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's fast forward because the book opens with your dentist, and I grind my teeth too, <laughs> your dentist telling you that your anger, that women's anger is literally bad for your health because it grinds yeah, your grind teeth. Your and teeth. that kind of inspires you to be like, wait a minute, let's look into why anger is useful for, for anyone. And listen, I think, look, I grew up afraid of black rage. I grew up of afraid of being framed as like an angry black man. For anyone right now watching the show who's afraid of their anger, what would you say to them? Well, there are reasons to be afraid because we are censured when we express our anger. Mm -hmm. We are told, look, a, a woman who expresses anger at being paid unfairly or treated badly at work, she might not get that promotion. She might, in fact, be tagged as somebody with a bad attitude. Uh, a woman of color who is pulled over for no reason on the street, who gets angry at the cop, of course, risks her her life, she risks being incarcerated, arrested. There, there are very real punishments out there for non-powerful white men who do dare to show anger, especially in the face of injustice or toward authority. So we're not crazy mm -hmm. to have anxiety about how our anger is gonna be received. That's part of what I wanna do in this right. book is suggest we need to listen to the anger of the subjugated and the oppressed more carefully and with more respect and more curiosity mm -hmm. and hear how it is censured and marginalized when in fact, it should be taken very seriously. So there, there's a reason you grew up fearing black rage. There's a reason I grew up understanding that if I yelled, mm -hmm. it would undercut my point. Right. I would be taken less seriously. Meanwhile, Brett Kavanaugh grew up knowing that he can walk into a hearing room mm -hmm. and snarl, scream back at authority figures, at the senators who are questioning him, do you like beer? <laughs> right? Like, like, right? And in, in the moment, mm -hmm. It sort of worked. It was like, well, that white guy is angry on his own behalf. That We are trained to respect the righteous fury mm -hmm. of powerful white men. That is the founding narrative, the revolutionary narrative behind our, our you know, forefathers our who angry we fetishize, yeah. right? Yeah. But whenever similar anger, even about the same things, like, wait a minute, I'm not being represented. I don't. I'm not, I don't have access to the same kind of opportunities, equality, liberty that the forefathers fought for because I am not, you know, a, a, a white man. Mm -hmm. That anger is sort of marginal. Like, that's not serious. That's, that's fringe. It's mm -hmm. hysterical. It's dangerous. Right. It's witch hunts, thugs, hate groups. Those are, those are the terms that have been used to refer to the women's movement, to Black Lives Matter. You know, this is, we marginalize that kind of anger, but we lionize it when it comes from white men. Right. We understand it almost reflexively as righteous and correct. Mm -hmm. We need to adjust our ears. Absolutely. Um, in your op-ed for the New York Times, um, following uh, Christine Blasey Ford's testimony, you note that often women's anger manifests physically as tears, mm -hmm. right? Which is an interesting kind of complication of what anger looks like. Why, why do you think it manifests in that way? Well, in part, tears are one of the only ways we can express ourselves that is not met mm. with... The, it's comprehensible. This is especially wow. true for white women mm -hmm. who within a white patriarchy are recognized more easily as traditionally feminine and meriting of sympathy, right? Mm -hmm. But to cry suggests a vulnerability, Wow. right? And so often, whereas to yell mm -hmm. suggests that you're a threat mm -hmm. and people are going to stop talking to you or stop liking you. But if you cry, again, especially if you're a white woman, there is a better chance that you're going to elicit sympathy. And so almost reflexively, we have this buildup mm -hmm. and it comes out as tears. I know, every woman I know says, oh yeah, when I'm furious, I cry. And it's misunderstood. It's seen wow. as weakness and vulnerability right. and like when in fact rage. it's blind rage. Wow, <laughs> that's so intense. Well, friends, <laughs> Rebecca Traster is here. I mean, just like, and I'm grateful. I'm <laughs> grateful. I know so many of you watching are because with everything happening, it's like, yes, we need history. We need context to make sense of what the fuck we are feeling. Yeah, no what kidding. Right, what the fuck are we feeling? <laughs> totally, oh totally. God. Again, Rebecca Traister's book, Good and Mad, is available everywhere. Get it, get a copy for your friends and talk about it. Uh, up next, because we still have a lot to be mad about, we're going to go live from the district. Uh <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Thank you so much. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter Nitty Prakash. Good morning, Nitty. Hi, morning. All right, uh, let's get into it because a lot is happening. Let's start with this tweet from Peter Baker of the New York Times. 
White House authorizes FBI to expand its abbreviated investigation into sexual misconduct allegations against Kavanaugh by interviewing anyone it deems necessary, as long as the review is finished by the end of this week. Okay, Nitty, what exactly is the FBI realistically hoping to learn within just a few days? So, I mean, I guess they're hoping to kind of resolve the discrepancies between all of these different claims and all of these different witnesses who have come forward now. Um, and obviously, since they've been allowed to expand their investigation, that means talking to a lot more people. So it's not clear where exactly they're going to arrive by the end of the week. Hmm. All right. When, when the FBI says, and I want to quote, current credible allegations against Kavanaugh, what exactly does that mean? So, you know, again, it's really up to them to interpret. So it's not clear to us whether they're going to speak to uh, Julie Swetnick, who was the third woman who came forward with an allegation against Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, they have spoken to Dr. Blasey Ford um, and uh, I think as well uh, the second woman who came forward with an allegation as well. Um, so Deborah Ramirez, her name is. So I, I think it's uh, really up to them how they define that. So there's a bit of a lack of clarity here still. Okay. So I have to say, remember when, like, the Democrats were like, y'all just dumped, like, 10,000 pages of documents on us the night before, like one of the hearings. I'm having resonances of this because I'm like, okay, so at the end of this week, the FBI will share whatever information they have, but at the same time, Mitch McConnell is saying there's going to be a vote. So do we have any idea of the timing? Like, is it going to be like the FBI is like, all right, here's your information at noon and within a few hours, there's going to be a vote? So, I mean, what we know is that that Friday deadline is a deadline that the FBI, it seems like they're going to stick to, uh, and McConnell is pushing for a vote to happen as soon as possible. He's reiterated again by the end of the week, so even if that means pushing into the weekend um, and having a final vote, say, on Sunday, um, that's something that he's, he's put on the table as well. So it could mean that senators have very little time to review whatever the FBI turns up. What a totally normal and seemingly fixed system. Huh. Uh, well, here's a tweet from Zoe Tillman. Mm -hmm. Kavanaugh attacked Senate Democrats, the Clintons, and left-wing groups, raising questions going forward about whether and when he'll face recusal requests. A number of groups suing the Trump administration have opposed him, ACLU, Planned Parenthood, Lambda, Legal, etc. Nitty, what sort of ethics questions do these partisan attacks raise for Kavanaugh now? So definitely, uh, I mean, I think that we saw uh, in the hearing last week that he very directly attacked uh, the Clintons, some specific Democrats, and, you know, more broadly left-leaning interest groups. So it kind of depends on how that's defined. But if any of those groups uh, comes up, if he is confirmed to the Supreme Court and any of those groups comes up in a case, uh, it does kind of like open the door for those groups to ask for him to recuse himself. Uh, on the Supreme Court, ultimately, that would be his decision. Interesting. And, and let's just say, hypothetically, what does this mean if he goes back to his current job on the D.C. circuit? Would it still raise ethical questions like this? So on the D.C. circuit, there's actually been two specific ethics complaints filed against him. Um, so those are things that would be investigated and seen through um, by the head judge on that court, who happens to be Merrick Garland. Um, so that's something that he would be facing if he goes back to that court instead of being confirmed to the Supreme Court. Okay. I, I don't mean to laugh in that this is funny. It's just, it's all just more surreal, like, as the days go on. Um, well, to that point, last Everything night, is totally normal here, Totally as usual. normal. Totally <laughs> normal. Uh, well, last night, New York Times reporter Robin Pogrebin tweeted this. Uh, we got the police report. Kavanaugh was involved in a bar fight at Yale in 1985, and I'm seeing in just a, just a few minutes, ago, Mitch McConnell said, quote, Judge Kavanaugh may have been accused of throwing some ice across a college bar in the 1980s. Talk about a bombshell. One can only imagine what new bombshell might be published today or tomorrow. I'm assuming he's being sarcastic. But listen, he's talking about it. So what do we know about Kavanaugh's involvement uh, at this bar in 1985? So uh, what we know from this police report and from one of his former classmates who uh, submitted a statement as well about this um, was that basically this was after a UB40 concert and it was at a bar um, 
and uh, Kavanaugh and his buddies thought that they saw the lead singer of UB40 apparently at this bar. Uh, that guy didn't take kindly to them staring at him. Um, and from the police report, uh, it sounds like Brett Kavanaugh then threw whatever was in his glass, ice or beer or whatever it was, um, at that man. Uh, and then one of his friends proceeded to throw a glass at him. That's pretty clear from the police report that the Times reported on. All right, now, Nitty, I, I wanted to ask you, um, has Kavanaugh commented on this new report, on this new finding? And more importantly, did you have to Google who UB40 was? Who it was coming. You know, so I didn't because my older brother had a cassette tape of their 1991 album when I was a kid. So <laughs> I was one of those people who had red, red wine in her head immediately all morning. Nice, but has Kavanaugh actually commented? He hasn't so far, no. All right, well, let's take a moment uh, to talk about Trump's press conference yesterday because amidst everything else that's happening, there was a surreal moment between him and a White House press reporter. Let's take a look. Sure. She's shocked that I picked her. No. She's in a state of shock. I'm not thinking, Mr. That's President. That's okay, I know you're not thinking. You never do. I'm sorry? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Nitty, uh, a lot of questions I can ask. Some of them, let's just keep it off camera. What do we make of all of this? I mean, so I think that we can kind of put it in the context of him being kind of belligerent towards some female reporters last week um, in his press conference um, at the UN. Um, so this is something that's starting to be a pattern in the last couple of weeks, definitely. It's not something that's new for him. Um, but it, it should, I think it's also noticeable that these women are also asking him about Brett Kavanaugh and about his own history of having sexual assault allegations uh, against him. Yeah, and that's getting his ire up. Do we know who the reporter was? Have they ever like been in conflict in the past? So it's Cecilia Vega from the ABC, um, and not that I know of. Um, I think that uh, women in the White House press corps, I mean, as we saw last week, have had this kind of thing happen occasionally. Um, I'm not sure with her in particular if she's had another run-in with him. All right. Well, Nitty, thank you, as always, for the context and insight this morning. Thanks for having me. All right, friends, up next, Isaac sits down with Jamila Jamil, the, the good place, yeah. the bad place, the wherever the hell we are. Now, <laughs> we're there. Wherever we are, we're there. I don't want to say anything about the new season. I don't, like, yeah, no, no, no sports. Nothing. 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 Zip. We may be in the bad place, but things are going pretty well for me because I'm joined by Jamila Jamil, one of the stars of NBC's The Good Place. That is... So calming. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. I am seriously in the good place right now. Thank Hi. you so much. How I'm, are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for this wonderful outfit. Oh, thank you. This is just for you. Well, I know that you did some, some spots yesterday and you were in your PJs. Yes. What happened? Well, I put chocolate in my bag because I am a seven-year-old and <laughs> didn't remember that chocolate can melt and go everywhere and it all just looked, it looked exactly like poo. So I decided, do I go on national television looking like I have just pooped my pants or do I go on in my pajamas? I went with pajamas, which are only vaguely more, like slightly more dignified. I would argue, I think you really pulled them off. Oh, thank you very I much. think you might have started something. Oh. I'm gonna start showing up here in my PJs. I really don't understand why everyone doesn't do morning press in their pajamas. <laughs> I was so comfortable, I was so happy, and my legs were wide open. You that felt... sounds wrong. Uh, but it was, it was great, I felt very free. Yeah, you felt, you felt very much in, in, yeah. in the moment. Um, season three, it's off, it's premiered, it's amazing. Thank you. The show is yet again reinventing itself. The Good Place is yet again reinventing itself. What's it like when you get those scripts and you see what the writers have in store for you? You cannot wait to get home to read them and you always live in slight doubt that the writers will just, you, I always think they're gonna run out of ideas. I'm always like, this is the last good idea and it's all downhill from here. I've had no faith in them from the beginning and every <laughs> single week they prove me wrong. And it's like, I don't understand how they can cram so much into one, Episode, it's like a season happens per episode and you're really gonna get a sense of that this season. The way we steamroll through, we could probably have 50 seasons of this show, but the way they just power through makes for an amazing season. It's amazing because it is, it's like a different show every season, but the characters we love so much. Thanks, even mine. Yes, even Tahani especially. Okay. I've loved, I'm gonna say this, yes, she's had a privileged life, yes. but she's had a difficult life in her sister's shadow. Yes. A soulmate in season one, maybe? Constantly fat-shamed by her parents. There's that. No longer a soulmate, though. Do you, do you have 
a sense of season three, do you think Tahani might find her soulmate? I think Tahani might get some action. Woohoo! Finally. Soulmates be damned. Yeah, season one, I was like, wow, this reminds me of my teens. No one was looking. She was throwing <laughs> it out there and no one was catching. Uh, but there could be a little bit of a romance. Uh -huh. I won't tell you with whom. Okay, I appreciate that. But something's happening. Something's, yeah, she's getting a little bit of uh, action. She's getting, she's getting yeah. something to happen. What if you could make up Tahani's soulmate, who would you choose? What would that look like? Uh, I think it would probably be Prince Harry. I think Meghan Markle just got there first. But I feel like Prince Harry, only royalty, surely would do. Sure. And he's fun and grounded. I think he would ground her. That's it. A prince would bring her down to yes, earth. Yes, I think that's genuinely how I feel. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, before this show, you were in this role. Yes. You were a host. Mm -hmm. How long were you a host for? I was a host for 10 years. 10 years. Yes. What made you do that career switch? Uh, well, I was just cold. I was in England, I was cold, and uh, I was about to turn 30, and I just thought, I haven't seen anywhere else. And, and you know, you get into this industry and, and you don't take a week off ever because you're worried that if you go away, you'll miss something. That's a mm. terrible way to live your life. It's navigated by fear. Mm. So I had a little health scare, and it kind of gives you, health scares, big ones in particular, actually. It was quite a big health scare. Mm. Uh, gives you that kind of jolt of a memory that time is very, very valuable. Mm -hmm. And so therefore you should definitely make the most of every single day. And I know I sound like Alec Baldwin in Friends, <laughs> but I don't care. Uh, that is what happened. And I booked a one-way ticket out of nowhere to Los Angeles. I left the relationship I was in. I left my career behind. Everyone told me I was too old, too fat, too ethnic to come here. And to those people, I would now like to say, Yes! Yes! You, you can't even flip off the camera. You can do it on this no, show. No, I'm fine. You can, you're perfect. Fine. That's that's I'm it. Perfectly dignified. Congratulations on thrust. all that. It was yeah, it was a very dignified okay. thrust. What was it like being in a Hollywood outsider? Like, do you feel like there's something you've learned about it? Uh, no. I just that I think I wish everyone would be a bit less insecure and enjoy it a bit more. Mm. I think this industry like breeds a lot of insecurity and a lot of neuroses that doesn't need to happen because it's not rocket science and we're not saving lives here. We're just improving lives for half an hour at a time. <laughs> and it's actually a really fun job. And there's a lot of fear in this business. So I hope everyone relaxes. I take a very, I really just enjoy myself. Yeah. I feel like I've won the lottery. Yeah, it must feel that way. Yeah. I will say this though. Yes. When The Good Place premiere, premiered on Thursday. Mm -hmm. It felt like it was saving my life a little bit. That was a very was a tough day. day. It was yeah. a very bad day. So yeah. I just I just want to give you that. Um, but it is, it seems like confidence um, and believing in yourself is something that you care about very deeply. You run the Instagram I weigh where women post their achievements instead of their weight. And this weekend you tweeted, I'm just gonna read it real quick. So many horror stories about people's damage around being weighed at school. Mm -hmm. I hope we can find a way to stop this. Adults underestimate the trauma to the child in the current state of society that so heavily and constantly shames people who are not thin. Mm -hmm. Do you, does anything stand out from your own experience in high school or as a child? Yeah, I remember, I think I remember the day I developed an eating disorder was that we were in maths class and the teacher, in order to show off, like to teach us percentages, weighed every member of the class. Oh. So it wasn't even like a health thing. And we had to be weighed in front of each other and you would see the number come up in front of everyone. I was the heaviest girl in the whole year. Mm -hmm. And so therefore that became like an instant for the next like three weeks, all I could hear was people talking about how I was the heaviest girl in the year. And within that three weeks, I just stopped eating altogether. And I didn't really eat a meal for like three years. And I'm sorry, how young were you in that? I was 12. I think I stopped eating around then and it developed into full-formed anorexia where it's like you really, and I had like body dysmorphia around 14. It took two years of kind of creeping up. Because mm. you're a baby, you still like need food at 12. And then at about 14, I just sort of stopped. And it was the worst time of my life. And I was so bad to my body. And I wish I could take back those years, but I can't. But what I can do is try and stop other people from losing those years. Yeah. And so I'm going to dedicate my time to that. Weighing isn't a sign. It's not an indication of health. Right. Right. It it's just not. doesn't mean anything. Also, muscle weighs more than fat. Like mm. bones can be heavy. It just doesn't mm. mean anything. Girls retain water. Mm. It just shouldn't be. It shouldn't be part of our narrative. Shouldn't be part of our conversation. You definitely shouldn't be weighing children and then telling them what they weigh. And then That's telling the whole awful. class. Telling the whole class. Like it just creates so much trauma. And when I tweeted about it, mm. because they're talking about introducing it into schools as a compulsory thing in England, um, I received maybe 
10,000 messages of people telling me their trauma from when they were weighed at school in front of their... Absolutely. It's just, it, it's a nightmare. It's such a ridiculous thing to feel bullied over. Yeah. It's just I, flesh. It's I remember, flesh on bones. So I was a large kid and I just remember saying it was the sweater. I wore a sweater when I got mm -hmm. weighed. I just remember being like, oh, well, it, it, trying to convince other kids yeah, that, yeah, oh, yeah. It, was, it was the sweater that must have been yeah. so heavy. Um, on the other side of this, though, you've talked openly about how brands kind of co-opt this messaging to help mm -hmm. sell product. Mm -hmm. What would you like to see change there? You don't, like, we have to have some morals in advertising. I feel like we have this cycle of corrupting people's self-confidence and self-esteem in order to make them feel like they need things and therefore they will go out and consume and buy things. Mm. And so we have to, I mean, I just don't understand how much money people need, <laughs> you know, at the, at, and, and we have to have some sort of, responsibility around the age to which we market things. That mm. flat tummy co where you've got teenage girls in the advert, sl already slender teenage girls in the advert, and everything's pink, and they say, girls, tell them to suck it. It's so female orientated, it's mm. so youth orientated, mm. it's not, you know, and people who try to defend it were like, you know, there's an obesity problem in America. It's like, there's no one obese on those adverts. You've right. already got slim girls you're telling to have an even flatter, perfect tummy. When they're young and their bodies are still growing and changing. So I think we need some responsibility. We need legislation around it. There has to be an age uh, barrier around which who you can market things at and towards. And I think celebrities who have a young following really have a responsibility mm. to, to be careful you know, and, and to any of the damage that was internalized in them that made them so obsessed with their weight that they have to talk about it publicly all the time anyway, they shouldn't be perpetuating back out into society and making other people who weren't thinking about it now become neurotic about their weight. That really messed me up as a child, was reading all those articles in the 90s where you had, I can't remember which famous actress, but I read something about a famous actress telling like Elle magazine or something that she eats naked in front of the mirror to make sure that she's not, like, to watch herself bloat, because that will put her off eating anymore. Jesus. And so it, after that interview came out, all the girls were bringing scales into school and like eating their lunch on the scales to watch if the dial would move. It just makes people crazy. We're young, we're in easily influenced, and someone has to look out for us. Right, and, and that's the thing, is you will learn the bad lessons, mm -hmm. and then you will just redo the bad lessons. Yeah, and we copy celebrities. And we copy celebrities. Celebrities are kind which of just deities. You which know. is why I think it's so important that you're out here saying this stuff, so thank you very very much. Like I, just as somebody that grew up with eating issues mm. myself, like thank you very much. Um, one last question about The Good Place, okay? Okay, please. All right. I love talking uh, about On the season show. premiere, we finally got a look at some of Tahani's celebrity contacts. We got that list. I think we're gonna pull it up right now. So I wanted to find out how you would spend mm -hmm. the day with these stars. Mm -hmm. All right, it can just be real quick. Okay. Taylor Swift. Oh, Taylor Swift. Yeah. I would spend the day with her girl squad. Okay, spend the day with her girl squad. Yeah, well, she always takes them to really like luxurious locations and they all have a wonderful time. They always look like they're having maximum fun. I would like to be with her and her girl squad for one day in one of her luxury mansions, please. <laughs> please, and the invite is out there. Yeah. Uh, Taika Waititi. Uh, Taika Waititi, I, I would like to spend a day inside his brain. <laughs> That's what I would like to do. I think he has the greatest brain. He is my... My one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Wow. I just like to spend a day maybe plugging something up to his brain and then reading all of it on a computer just to understand how he can be so genius. Just having fun with that, yeah. kind of like I the really, MRI machine. I love him. Yeah, I, love I mean, same. I worry same. that I'm in love with him, but I'm not. I'm in love with my boyfriend. <laughs> Say it clear. Say it loud. Universe. Say it loud. In an alternate <laughs> universe, I think there's another I think, other I version think of me. I think we're all... in love with Taika Waititi, and so is my boyfriend, I think. There so it that's is, fine. exactly. It's a mutual obsession. Exactly, yeah. all right, last one. Okay. The Queen. The Queen. Uh, who I didn't like until I saw The Crown. Wasn't oh. into The Queen. Sorry, oh. The Queen. I didn't dislike but you've come her, around. but I wasn't like, I didn't feel any connection to her, and now because of The Crown, I, I am die hard for The Queen. <laughs> I will do anything for that woman. Yes! Uh, so I would like to spend a day Slagging off, which means bitching about uh -huh. uh, everyone in the royal family. I want to know everyone's dirt. Yes. Oh, it's delicious. A day of gossip with the queen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jamila, for joining us. I hope you get all of those wishes. Uh, watch The Good Place Thursday nights on NBC. Up next, Saeed has a very special edition of Fire Tweets with Justin Johnson, AKA the dancing queen, Alyssa Edwards. Stay tuned. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm never washing my face again. I'm never washing my face again. Sorry to Taika Waititi's wife if he's got one. <laughs> Fire! Fire! 
All right, welcome back, my queens. We have a special edition of Fire Tweets this morning, darling. I am joined by Justin Don Johnson, fellow Texan, by the way. Yes. I grew up in Louisville. Uh, you are also known as the Dancing Queen, and of course, Alyssa Edwards. Good morning. And the secret is officially out the October fifth. October fifth. We are three days away from I the love premiere. It. I love it. A star is going to be born, and that star is going to learn how to dance. Okay. <laughs> I love your dancing troupe. I love that this is happening. Beyond Belief Dance Company. It truly is my life. Know them. Know them. Okay. So we're going to do fire tweets. So this okay. is how it works. We got some tweets from the from the Twitters, from the twats, okay? And you're just going to hit a button and read it out of there, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. You ready? You Here do we right go. There. Good morning, good afternoon, ladies, gentlemen, and judges. <laughs> did it work? You did. Okay, the first tweet comes from God is Mikey. I told my coworker I was gay today, and he said, bro, I couldn't even tell. You don't dress gay. And then he replied, well, we all wear the same uniform at work. Okay. <laughs> so now, am I dressed gay? I just want to know I, that. I, you know, I mean, there are a few tells. Okay. It, it's the watermelons. Okay. I, I'm living for this. It's happy. It's, it's happy. happy. Yeah. It's all happy. All You're right. What is, do you have a memory of like something just really dumb a straight guy has said to you when you're just like, what? At what point in my life? <laughs> Every point? Yeah, you know, actually I'll tell you a funny story. Okay. In eighth grade, I was asked, mm -hmm. am I this or this? Oh. And I referred that to dance hands, so I said both. <laughs> and he told the whole school that I was oh, bisexual, wow. and I said, well, what does that mean? Uh-huh, and you were, oh, wow, he Are you this or you this? And I thought, well, I've done both in my that's jazz really class. Incredible. You know, what's incredible. going on here? Wow, okay, let I me do this next one. That, that's pretty, look, you just had the range. This Tried one comes it. from Vin. I love it. You're into these buttons. All right, the gender reveal forest fire is God telling cis people to stop. Okay, so, girl, have you heard, do you know about gender reveal parties? It's huge in the South. It, it, is I it? I mean, people want to know, people are still associating uh, boys with blue and girls mm -hmm. with pink, and mm -hmm. you know, they're all jumping the gun mm -hmm. rather than just waiting, and I think that was God, you know, adding a little bit of pyrotechnics to the party. <laughs> okay. I mean, there they was burned down 47,000 acres. They oh, said a whole no. 47,000 acres. It was like $8.2 million in damage. Uh-huh. <laughs> Over a gender reveal? Over a gender reveal party. Yeah, because they, like, they had like explosives to reveal the color. Oh, they were serious. Mm -hmm. And where was this at? It was in Arizona. Oh. Mm -hmm. Well, God bless all the people of Arizona. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully the child is healthy. I hope so. Got some dumb parents, though. Oh, where they might have um, some smoke damage okay. in the lungs. <laughs> Okay, you want to do this next tweet? I do. Okay, okay. here we go. You ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. If only I could go back in time and tell little closeted me that one day he'd be naming his Wi-Fi network Electra Abundance. Oh, Electra Abundance. Now tell me, do you watch Pose? Have, uh, have you gotten your life? <laughs> yeah, like, I know y'all don't have me up in here asking me no silly questions <laughs> on this series today. <laughs> Absolutely. Who who isn't watching Pose? People we don't trust. Uh-huh. And don't follow. Okay. 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 Is do you Electra's my favorite character. Do you have a favorite? I, I love her because she's like the grand dame. Yeah. She is the mother of the house. Yeah. And uh Bold and courageous and daring, all the things I've created, you know, my Alyssa Edwards uh -huh. character after. Totally. And, you know, she's got to got that uh, that air about her when she walks into the room, honey, the sea will be parting. Uh -huh. So <laughs> I could see her having a dance company. Okay, I, I could. I all right, could. we got a tweet here from Jennifer Espinoza. <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm gay. G, G. going. A, another. Y, year without speaking to most of my family. Now, now wait a minute now, Jennifer. Dang, girl. Now, you're, you're pretty close to your family. Okay. Yeah. You have your moments. I, I, I think we all do, mm -hmm. you know, and that's why it's called family. Mm -hmm. They love me. Uh, they appreciate me. They celebrate me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the holidays. <laughs> and there it is. Okay, we have one more. It's our tweet of the okay. day. Let's hit the buns together for this. Okay, ready? Right. One, two, two three. three. Ow! I nailed that choreography. It comes from Emerson Collins. A Star is Born and Alyssa Edwards' Dancing Queen, both premiering on Friday, is the only motivation to get me through the rest of the week. Yay! Oh I'm my gosh. I'm so excited about your Isn't series. that so magical? And this Cher just good. came out with Dancing Queen. Look at that. Look at the even. universe. The stars have the And the timing. Oh, wow. I just ate last night at Gaga's restaurant, Joanne, and I was tweeting her. Girl, where you at? Come have a cocktail with me. Let's celebrate a glass of wine. <laughs> she All the folks at Beyond Belief are hyped up. 
up. October 5th, y'all have got to, yes. you've got to watch this oh, series. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? You know what? Do you really you think, you, you saw me on Drag Race, yes, right? Yes. A competition series. This is you well, and get ready. This way. is a hallmark of my life. Uh. And this will give you a VIP pass behind the front door of my home, behind the walls of the studio. And everything in Texas is bigger, not just the wigs, uh -huh. but the personalities yes. and the dance moms, the competitive dance women of Mesquite. Y'all okay. oh, thought y'all knew some dance moms, and y'all thought y'all knew. <laughs> we ain't ready. I'm so excited. I, I ain't even, I'm going to leave it at that. I love that. it. I love it. Okay, well, we've got a children. We're going to go see a Stars Born matinee, and we're going to walk out of there listening to Dancing Queen by Cher on our way home to watch Netflix Dancing Queen. It's this Friday. Get into it. Thank you so Thank much you so for coming by. You're hearts. such a sweetheart. Thank okay, you. Okay, up next, Stephanie is going to talk with Kate Arthur about diversity in network TV. Stay tuned. Oh, I think I, I kind of got it. <laughs>Fall TV season is getting started and Kate Arthur, BuzzFeed News' chief Los Angeles correspondent, joins me now to talk about the changing face of network TV. Kate, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. Okay, so for the first time in history, shows with actors of color in lead roles outnumber shows with predominantly white cast. Now, you wrote a story about this yesterday. Obviously, this is a huge change in network TV. So. What does it mean that we're now seeing this on the networks as opposed to cable and the streaming services, which have been a little bit more diverse in the past? Well, as far as we know, since uh, streaming services don't release ratings, the networks still provide the biggest platforms um, with a few exceptions on cable, like The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. Pretty much every network show is uh, is more watched than cable shows and we don't know about streaming but you know it seems like they the networks are the biggest platform still and i think for a lot of actors and producers especially it kind of still going to network is still kind of the ultimate right it's still That's even right. though everyone loves it you know the streaming services whatever it's still kind of the big fish so what are some of the new shows premiering this season that are contributing to this diversification of the network TV? I mean, Stephanie, I can't believe I'm saying this, but there are so many that I, I can't even list them all. Um, there's REL on Fox. Uh, there's All-American on the CW and Charmed on the CW. Um, there are a bunch of shows on CBS. Uh, Magnum PI has a Latinx lead. God Friended Me, Blackmail lead. Um, there are just too many to name. And one of the things that you said in your article, which I thought was really encouraging, was that it's not just that networks are writing shows for people of color. It's that they are casting people of color in roles that they wrote for a white actor or wrote without a race in mind. Uh, you mentioned yeah. Damon Wayans specifically. Can you talk about that a little bit? Damon Wayans Jr., I'll yes. say. Um, the show Happy Together on CBS is based on the experiences of a white British man who Harry Styles moved in with him and his wife for I think 10 months or something. And, and the role of this white British man is being played by Damon Wayans Jr. Because Damon Wayans Jr. was deemed by The Hollywood Reporter and I think every casting director as the most sought after uh, actor for last season's pilot season. And so he wanted to do this show. So CBS was like, absolutely. And then, you know, they cast his wife Am at Amber Stevens West, who's also a black woman. So, it, you know, it, it, it's a diff it's a big difference. It's not just shows that are about race or about, um, uh, you know, characters of color in conflict with, with a situation or other people. Another thing that you mentioned was it's not just that there are people of color in front of the camera, it's we've seen an influx of people of color behind the camera in the writer's room. Can you talk about that a little bit? The networks really carefully keep track of uh, how many directors of color, 
how many writers of color they're hiring and with the goal of doing better every year. And these are percentage goals. I mean, they don't, they don't have quotas, but they want to do better each year. And that's a really big change and, and really important. And they keep track for women also. Um, but my story was just about race, but um, these are, they want to do, they want to, hire more people of color in writers' rooms, more directors of color, and more the, have their crews be more diverse also. That's definitely encouraging, and it's really encouraging to read your piece and see everything that's changing. But what else can change? Where else could we go from here? Yeah. Well, this is on camera. It's definitely... Um, it's a lot of uh, Black actors and, and Black characters that other underrepresented groups, um, Latinx characters, Asian American characters. There are many, many fewer roles for them in this current season. Um, it will get a little better for Latinx characters in the falls, in the network's mid-season shows. But, um, but right now it's, it's mostly uh, black actors um, on camera who are, it, it's a spike um, for, for black actors. You talked a lot in the piece about how Get Out has made such a big impact on how networks see diversity in TV. And I guess I think some people are worried that this season is obviously really encouraging, but that after a few seasons, the networks will be like, oh, okay, we did it, it was trendy, now we're gonna go back to the way things were. Are you a little more optimistic than that? Or do you are you worried about that too? I think there's been a generational shift among the, the people who lead the networks who really prioritize diversity. And I, I don't think it's going backward. I think, I think it's kind of baked into the process of casting and hiring at this point. And I, it, I think this is just the way it is now. And that's a great thing. Yeah, that's a super awesome thing. Shout out to the next generation coming forward and doing things a little bit differently. Well, Kate, thank you so much for getting up early in LA to talk to me. Always Thanks talking for having to you. Me, Stephanie. We're tweeting her piece out now. I definitely recommend that you read it. And we want to hear from you. What network TV show are you looking forward to this season? What are you watching? Let us know. Up next, Isaac and Saeed respond to your tweets. Welcome back, friends. Okay, there was one clarification about the Kavanaugh investigation we wanted to make. Here's a tweet about it from Diane Gallagher. Christine Blasey Ford has still not heard from the FBI. As of this morning, Ford's team tells MJ Lee. Which is pretty stunning. Like, I think a lot of people, especially when we're talking about, okay, so who is the FBI talking to? What does a credible claim mean? We would definitely figured they'd at least be starting there. Mm -hmm. So that's that's pretty wild. Yeah, I would have assumed the first two people they would speak to would be Kavanaugh and, and Blasey Ford. I will say, when all this shit is over, if we're all still around, we're gonna have a long conversation about the last two, three years and how I think a lot of assumptions I had about the FBI mm. changed. Mm. But, all right. You know that's, what I mean? I mean, I just, I it's just not number like one on the list. Just like, but there's oh, a lot to get, just know we'll get to. Just know we'll get to. Weren't, weren't the X-Files, weren't they technically a part of the FBI? <laughs> I mean, that's a TV show. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I feel like my general understanding of what the fuck the FBI did has just changed. It's anyway. changed a bit. All right, let's get to some <laughs> of your tweets. Uh, Tanya Melendez, you tweeted, it's like AM to DM crawled into my brain Whoa. and picked out an ideal list of guests today. For today, one of my fave authors, star of one of my favorite shows, Saeed not knowing an 80s band, Alyssa goddamn Edwards, shit. You all were one science daddy away from perfection. I like that, I'm gonna print that off and put it up in my desk. Science daddy, is that like Neil, Neil deGrasse type? Who do we mean when we say science <laughs> Dan daddy? Vergano. Dan Vergano! <laughs> I'm assuming, I don't, Dan Vergano. Oh, I hashtag science daddy. I got, yeah, we haven't had him on a little bit. Yeah, because you ain't never in my life gonna catch me 
refer to Neil deGrasse oh, Tyson. And that's fair, Dad. but 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 with not on, not on my watch. That's abs- a great tweet. Thank absolutely. You, Tanya. All right. All right. Well, during my <laughs> sit down with Jamila Jamil, Softy thirty eight said, "I'm so grateful for Jamila Jamil because my twelve year old looks up to her." And she is exposing these poisonous messages in advertisements and social media for what they are. Right on. I really love that moment when she like she was like, actually, no, we are gonna. This is we are gonna take the time to talk about this to share herself personally like that. It was really incredible. She's great. I don't know. Good yeah. on the show. She was absolutely great, and it ties into talking about that last conversation with Kate Arthur, Arthur which I absolutely yeah. loved. Uh, and so many shows that were. There's a lot, mentioned. and also Rebecca Tracer. It's, it's all I see it now. I yeah. see the vision. You see the, the show's vision? a ride. Sometimes I'm just like I don't know what I'm doing from one one. Second. <laughs> to yeah. the next. There was a I thread. A theme. I'm really excited. Uh, speaking of diverse TV shows, Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone. That's oh, is that I, happening like soon? And he's hosting. Oh. Yeah, I'm really. I thought that was going to be like a few years. Down. Well, amen. Yeah, I'm all really right. excited. Shout out to you, Jordan Peele. Well, of course, I sat down with Rebecca Traster earlier this morning. And Oliver, you are ready for the holidays. You tweeted, Rebecca Traster is awesome. And her book is going in every stocking I stuff in 2018. And listen, that's great. And her book is wonderful. And we all need to be reading it. But Oliver... What the fuck stockings are you using, dog? It's a big book. Yeah. It <laughs> I will see the bigs. It's that <laughs> My problem with it is Halloween hasn't happened oh, yet, dog. Okay. Give it out to all the trick-or-treaters. Oh, yeah, put it Teach in the pumpkin. Teach some lessons to the youth. <laughs> I in, knew we ran about put things. Put them in I did. the pumpkin. It's kind of a big... Oh, all right. right. Anyway. Thank you to all of our guests and all of you for watching today. Stephanie McNeil, Kate Arthur, Justin Johnson, a.k.a. Alyssa Edwards, Jamila Jamil, Nitty Prakash, Rebecca Traster, Dante Palmer, and Lomvo. Thank you. All of you. There are so many of you. Yes, Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you all. Listen, we'll be right back here tomorrow, 10 a.m. We will see you then. And look at this.